everybody, welcome to Into the Wormhole. I'm Larissa Maestro, and I'm here with my number one. That Lauren chick. <laughs> that Lauren chick. Going with that one this time. <laughs> so the world is still pretty bonkers out there, and we know that. Um, we're still doing research on our own and working on... Um, episodes for the future that focus more on social justice in Star Trek. And we're also working on an episode that sort of expands on a blog post that I did for uh, Women at Warp, which is a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast um, that focuses on or explores specifically mixed race representation in the Star Trek canon. But for now, we wanted to give you a little break. This is going to be a very fun episode where we start a series that we've been talking about where we dive into the sort of like Star Trek remakes or remixes that happen over the years. I mean, it's like 60 years of content. So they definitely go back to plots and redo them or, you know, pay homage to a past episode and this is going to be the first of those that we talk about. Uh, Lauren, do you want to tell everybody what it is? Oh, I do. I do. I hope I don't get tongue-tied. First of all, we will say that this is, once again, we did it again. Uh, we recorded this two hours of tape only to find out that uh, things were kind of messed up on my end. We think we got this figured out. And so we're recording this one again. So you'll hear us say things like, oh, yeah, last time we brought up this point. That is why. So, Larissa, are we ready for... I have a good feeling about this Yeah, Well, it's nice. It's like a little dress rehearsal. So I'm ready for take two. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. <laughs> so this time for the remix, um, one of the ones that really stood out for us is, you know, the original series, The Trouble with Tribbles, which, Larissa, <laughs> I know you have it in front of you. Tell us what season and episode that is of TOS. Season two, episode 13 of TOS. Thank you. And then we're putting that one against, obviously, Deep Space Nine, uh, Trials, and Tribulations. Oh, Yes. And, <laughs> and we're going to have a special guest appearance by a short trek, um, which is The Trouble with Edward. So that'll be a fun little bonus thing that we're going to add to this. All the instances of Tribbles that exist in Star Trek series, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Tribbles are the Pomeranian of space, I've decided. <laughs> and I feel like for most people, even if they don't know Star Trek, there's a couple things that we know as a society. We know Beam Me Up Scotty. We know Set Phasers to Stun. And a lot of us would know uh, what a Tribble is, even if we're not a Star Trek person. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would I would probably say that Trouble with Tribbles is the most famous TOS episode, right? I think so. I think a lot of people would say it's definitely one of the most iconic, um, you yeah. know, along with a, a few others. But it's it's kind of one of those pop culture references that people get. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's that scene in this episode, this TOS episode with, you know, William Shatner sitting in the pile of tribbles that's been made into a meme like over and over exactly. and over again. Yes. So I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this goofy shit. It's going to be good. Some goofy shit. We talked about wacky Star Trek um, when we talked about Rascals. And I think this might be, 
um, one of the earliest wacky Star Trek episodes. But it's a fun one. I will say it's kind of amusing to think that back in the day when it was made, uh, Gene Roddenberry himself and some other people involved with the, the show were not very fond of this episode, which is surprising <laughs> because over time it has become so beloved and again, an iconic episode. And a lot of times when you see sort of essential Star Trek episode list, this is one of them for TOS, this episode, the yeah. couple of triples. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. I I sometimes enjoy imagining what it must have been like to make a series like Star Trek at the time that it was being made in the late 60s and how hard it probably was for someone like Gene Roddenberry to like really get his vision across and this episode in particular really seems like it was like the studio saying hey we're competing with lost in space we need some crazy shit we need people punching each other in the face it needs to be snappy and entertaining let's do this and gene being like oh god fine you know like (laughs) yeah no it's um it's definitely a fun furry ride um and and it's I think there's actually a lot of it's not just the premise I mean actually when you watch it it's it's got snappy dialogue um I think the pacing is good you know I actually think this one's a good example of a A story and B story that are quite different from each other but they come together really nicely yeah and one yeah and sometimes in Star Trek maybe the A story will be stronger than the B story or one kind of bogs down the other but in this case they they're completely different tones but they both work equally as well yeah absolutely um do you want to give us a recap okay i like first just a real quick recap because last time i tried and i couldn't stop just thinking about tribbles like i couldn't like for some reason just tell what was in the episode i was like there's tribbles tribbles. (laughs) and then i finally was like larissa do you need help (laughs) <laughs> I, I got yeah usually you're the one who has all the names and all the details and I'm like oh my god no like for some reason this episode like the the it just didn't stick to my brain I don't know why I think maybe I was like sewing while I was watching it or something like yeah. quite, <laughs> who knows? quite all right who knows I hope you were sewing uh some some triple embroidery um <laughs> yes I was embroidering tribbles on all I, of my pants by the way I bet we can find that somewhere on the internet. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Okay. So, yeah. So, Trouble with Tribbles. Um, so, in this episode, what happens is it opens up and Kirk gets called to a space station, which I believe is K-7. Yeah. Because we have a um, the highest priority security alert is going, you know, on the space channel. So, he gets over there. And during this time, it's very important to note that there's a planet called Sherman's Planet. And both the Klingons and the Federation have claimed to it. And so what's going to happen is basically both sides have to state their case about why one would be more successful at actually um, kind of settling it. And that's going to determine who gets it. So that's an important part here. They get to the space station and Kirk is pissed off to find out that Mr. Barris, who is a Starfleet official, I believe in agriculture of some sort, Hmm. who's in charge of a a genetically modified grain a super grain um that is going to uh, be very important to uh the federation claiming their stake on sherman's planet so of course for him this is the utmost importance and what's high security kirk and him don't see eye to eye and their kind of bickering uh is played to comic effect uh throughout the episode 
to kind of match the tone. At the same time, he has Darvis, right? Assistant Darvis? Darvin. Darvin. Arn Arn Darvin. Darvin. Yes, Assistant Darvin, who's who's there and will be an important character. Um, Meanwhile, a Klingon ship shows up. Both crews have shore leave on the station. Uhura and Chekhov go to the bar slash mess hall where they run into a seedy uh, used car salesman-esque character named Jones who is trying to sell the bartender a fuzzy little purring creature, our Tribble, the titular Tribble. Um, (laughs) And so he strikes up a deal with the bartender for six credits, a Tribble, which I don't know what that you know, translates to in today's currency. Uh, and yeah, like how much, <laughs> how much Bitcoin is right. that? Right. And he gives one to Ahura so that she can show it around to all her friends and make them super popular. They start multiplying, of course, on the ship. Uh, and then McCoy, McCoy decides to check him out to see what makes them tick. Yes. And discovers that they are literally born pregnant. Yes. And then mentions that they reproduce bisexually. Yeah, I which love that note. <laughs> we don't, there's no way they really understood what they were talking about. Exactly. I think they meant, yeah, asexually. They, they kind of <laughs> meant like they're like worms where worms can just reproduce. Like, or, yeah. or it makes me think of that scene in Jurassic Park where they explain like, oh, we use frog DNA so they can just be flexible with their reproduction. Uh, but anyways, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're realizing, okay, uh, this is going on. Meanwhile, there's a huge fight in the mess hall because the Klingons, the, or the Klingons, as they call them on TOS, uh, insult Kirk and the Enterprise to Scotty and Chekhov, and they start a huge fight, a hilarious huge fight with lots of face punching and lots of people like rolling over the bar and shit. Everyone gets in trouble. Um, everyone gets sent to quarters uh and then everyone's like freaking out because there are tribbles fucking everywhere right they end up finding i, I that, like finding out that the that could be kind of a verb i like that like the tribbles are fucking everywhere they're <laughs> themselves they, they could be, they're fucking everywhere the bridge is covered in tribbles there are tribbles everywhere there are also tribbles on the space station, and th- these tribbles have eaten through all of the grain, uh, this genetically modified grain supply. But what they find out is that after they eat this grain, they die. So, like, something's up with the grain. They realize the grain's been poisoned, and they don't know why. Eventually, they use a tribble and find out that this assistant guy, Arn Darvin, is actually a Klingon who has been altered uh, yeah his he's been altered to look human and he's like an undercover agent trying to sabotage the federation's claim to colonize this planet <laughs> and they find out because tribble gets mad at him it's weird. <laughs> like tribbles don't like klingons so he gets like banished from the klingon empire and his career is over or whatever and then at the end of the episode there's a hilarious moment where nobody wants to tell Kirk what happened to all the tribbles. And then finally Scotty's like, I beamed them all onto the Klingon bird of prey. So, uh, the end. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I, this episode is hilarious. 
It's and and here's the thing. It sounds like it shouldn't work, but I really do think the comedic uh, tone and approach they take, which is one of the reasons why Roddenberry and the people kind of involved more in the production of it weren't so kind and loving to this episode. They thought it was it was too silly for Star Trek to do. They thought it was not what Star Trek is about, and it ended up being a really well known and popular episode. But it's it's done really well. Um, it's uh, like I said, snappy. There's a lot of great bickering and kind of adversarial stuff between Barris and Kirk. Um, there's that that kind of feeling between Spock and McCoy, which is great. They have a, a couple of really funny moments. Yeah, like it, it actually, like I said, it it moves itself along, and by the end, you have a really good time. Yeah, yeah, it really, really does. Yeah. I hope you don't mind if I go on my little character rant that I did last time because no, no, I, I feel ahead. like this is the perfect opportunity. And this kind of goes back to a couple of things. We talked about Paul Dooley from The Wire in Deep Space Nine and how he only has five minutes, but he makes a big impact. But one of the things I brought up is that ideally when you're telling a story, you kind of want your script and your dialogue to do a few things. You want it to actually move along the plot, which is important. Uh, preferably it's entertaining and engaging to your audience. And then finally, if you can also say something about your character while you're doing it, that's great. So that we have, you know, little bits of character development here and there. And, you know, you're talking about Scotty. And Scotty, to me, and Jones, who you brought up, are two great examples of that. Scotty, we see him, first of all, Kirk has to shove him off the ship and force him to take shore leave. um, Because Scotty (laughs) says, I'd rather just be in my room studying my tech manuals. And, yeah. Um, and, and Kirk kind of convinces him by saying like, look, I need you to make sure no tomfoolery goes, goes on while they're down there. So he's kind of sent to babysit the other, uh, crew of the Enterprise. Um, while he's down there, there is the, yeah, kind of the, the bar brawl scene where the Klingons are trying to uh, stir up trouble and Chekhov is ready to fight one because the Klingon keeps insulting Kirk and, um, Scotty says, you know, calm down. It's okay. We're, we're above all that. But once the Klingon starts insulting the ship, <laughs> Scott, Scotty <laughs> loses it. And he's actually the one who throws the first punch and starts this bar fight. Um, I so, love it. And then that leads to another moment where Kirk finds out that Scotty has uh, caused this. And Scotty is explaining, oh, well, they started to insult you. And Kirk says, oh, well. I, I see you, you were defending my honor. And he's like, well, not exactly. I, I, you know, held Chekhov back, <laughs> but then they started insulting the ship. Um, and so that again is a funny moment where you realize Scotty's kind of buttons are with the ship. And of course, you know, Kirk doesn't know how to quite to take this. Quirk and Kirk, oh, excuse me, Quirk. Kirk ends up <laughs> Kirk. sending. I'm sorry. Now I'm thinking about Quirk, Quirk, Quirk and Kirk hybrid. <laughs> Um, Scotty, like send them through that transporter with the or with the orchid and oh, there we go, a, a Kirk and Quark hybrid named oh. Quirk. No, thank you. Oh no, uh, I don't even know what that would be like. Anyway, sorry to derail. No, no. Anyone wants fault. to Photoshop that for me too? <laughs> Please. But then uh, Kirk says, like, okay, Scotty, you have to stay in your quarters, and Scotty's like. Thank you. I I can study my tech manuals. And so he has a great moment. Like all that stuff just, uh, you know, serves him in the episode, which is great. 
And then the other one is Jones, like you were saying. I'll just quickly go through. Jones doesn't have that much screen time. And this is his only episode, but he makes such an impression, um, not only the way he's played by that actor, but when there is this big bar brawl scene, they use that as an opportunity to show him sneaking behind the bar and he's, you know, getting his own drinks and then he's carrying them um, through this sort of maze of Klingons and Starfleet crew that are fighting, gets to the door, (laughs) the door opens and just about as he's about to get a drink, bartender comes and takes it away from him, but he reaches into his other pocket where he takes out the second drink. Um, and that's just another scene that it's really fun. It allows the bar brawl scene to play out and kind of raise the stakes, so to speak, of why these crews get in trouble with each other. And they use it as a great opportunity to have this lighthearted moment that not only echoes the tone of the episode, but in the end, again, like shows so much about Jones as a character without a single line of dialogue from him, just through his actions. It's a, it's a fun scene. And I, yes. those moments not only happen in this episode, but the Deep Space Nine version and even up to the um, Trouble of Edward, the short track. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That kind of like physical humor. There's a lot of sight gags. Uh, yes. Yes. It's like very just like over the top silliness, which then like brings me to let's just let's dive in and talk about the Tribbles. The Tribbles themselves. The Tribbles themselves. Okay. Like I want to say... I would totally be Uhura and I would be like, give me that Tribble. It is adorable. I want to hold it and love it forever and ever, even though it doesn't have a face. And then I would be the one that like spread them around the whole ship and mess everything up. But they are so simple. They're just like little fur balls. Like there's nothing like, like, why are they cute? It's, it's, <laughs> I can, I can. they're just little balls of fur that purr. It's true. Well, actually, from a from a character design place, yeah. I mean the 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 circle is the shape that humans are the most attracted to, actually. And and usually, usually the more simplistic it is, the more we can kind of respond to it. Interesting. But we actually have a very like pure response to simple shapes. That's why when you look in character design, Mickey Mouse, bunch of circles. Um, yeah. R2-D2, he's a circle. And then you, okay, here's a great thing. Sorry. We always talk about S- Star Wars, at least once, <laughs> I feel like. But it's true. Okay, you look at R2-D2, who's circles and circles and circles. You go to Jar Jar Binks. Failure. <laughs> yeah. And then what did Disney do? On so many levels, a failure on every level. And then <laughs> when you get back to, I have to admit, like Disney taking over Star Wars, they introduced BB-8, who literally is a circle, He's a rolling circle. Just a circle, and then the Porg. Yeah, yeah. So we were. Oh my we god, res- you're totally right. We respond really well to circles, um, and yes. yeah, the Tribble's a great example of that, especially since yeah, totally. there's no face or anything. It's just like here, it's a soft yeah. circle sphere. <laughs> I mean, if we were comparing the Tribbles to Fizzgig from Dark uh, the Dark Crystal, uh, that. Fizzgig is basically a Tribble, but does have a face. It's a very scary face. Lots of teeth. I s- so many teeth. I said if you combine like a Tribble with like the 1980s B-movie Critter design, you get Fizzgig. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember you had a piece of trivia about, yeah. about them actually 
creating these and and making them and what they use and how many they made and all of that. Yeah, stuff. should I go through that? Is now a good time? Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah. to make some of them move, because I always was curious, like, do they have someone like underneath the table just kind of moving a sticker? Uh, so the ones that are moving, a lot of them are filled with mechanical wind-up toys, so that they would <laughs> just kind of bop around a little bit. Um, yes. So there were 500 tribbles made. This is all from memory alpha, by the way. Um, 500 tribbles that were made for $350. It, it looks like they were all made by one woman, woman, excuse me. That is insane. (laughs) One person making 500 tribbles. Like, I mean, I guess you could equate that to like people who are like mass producing face masks right now because they're not. Like they can't be that difficult to make. Oh, especially you a know, they're just like it's plush like, circles. Yeah, I mean, you right? just like so you're gonna pattern and like get it get it going pretty quickly. But like that's like that's some pretty monotonous like intense work. And she only got she got less than a dollar for each triple. I know. And then um, I, you know, a that's lot some of them bullshit. A lot of them started to disappear <laughs> from the set because they started to become a collector's item. So. You kind of hope she at least got some so that she could sell them. Yeah. And then the other little fun piece of trivia I just had was that um, uh, Scotty's kids in real life would come to the set and um, his two little boys accidentally went wandering off and um, opened up a storage cabinet and 200 tribbles fell on them and they immediately (laughs) got, you know, (laughs) left the scene of the crime. Um, But I love the fact that the kind of Kirk avalanche scene happened in real life to some extent. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that's the that's the story of trouble with tribbles, you know? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I do have I do have a couple of notes cuz they'll come into play when we talk about D Space 9. Oh, yeah, 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 go ahead. First of all, poor Chekhov because he's trying to do everything from impress people with his knowledge of vodka and history and everything and no one's giving him the time of day. He uh, has a joke in the beginning about the way Klingons smell, which Spock immediately puts him down for that. Uh, so that'll oh come into play. I mean, because it's rude, Chekhov. <laughs> or as uh, Spock says, extremely little ensign. Uh, when Chekhov <laughs> says he's just telling a little joke, Spock says, extremely little ensign. The other thing is the bar scene. We have to take note of the butterfly dress waitresses oh yeah yes which i really hope somebody out there has cosplayed as this at some sort of convention or something because they're amazing they really look like outfits that maybe were just on the cbs set like the production lot and they said well yeah take those those will do we just need something funky but they are opaque tights and then they it's like a one piece overall romper and at the bottom of the lower back, where the overall straps meet the bottom of the shorts, there's these little fairy butterfly wings. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's just... It's so silly. It's a great little costume moment, and that will also come into play. I also said, this episode is brought to you by the color purple. <laughs> they really like their lighting in this episode, and um, purple shows up a lot. I fucking love it. Um, It's great. Before we move on, though, you... In our first attempt to record this episode, you mentioned something about the music, and that started a very uh, important sort of thread throughout the whole episode. So, uh, oh yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. The music in this episode 
is fucking awesome. Um, it is so goofy and silly and over the top. And it does a lot of things that are um, normally associated with cartoons. Um, in film scoring, they call it Mickey Mousing when the music is like doing an exactly what is happening on screen. So like somebody oh. gets thrown over, over like a, a tabletop and, it, and the a flute goes. Brrr! Oh, so it's like, it, know, it, like, like that, if Bugs Bunny is like tiptoeing through a room, it'll be like, yeah, it's like, do, 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 do. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's, that's, that's called Mickey Mousing. So there's a lot of very cartoonish underscore to this episode. It is all, recorded by real orchestral musicians so like they had to write all this stuff out and then go to a studio and people had to read it and play it as opposed to like nowadays everyone's got samples in their computer and they can make it on their own and do whatever they want this this is all orchestrated music which is so much fun to listen to stuff from this time is so much fun to listen to because it's actually like really complex (laughs) It's actually difficult. Like some of some of the most silly sounding music in shows like this is the hardest stuff to play. It is because it's just weird and it's not written to be like musical on the instrument. It's written to like serve a purpose as far as like texture or or something else. Yeah, yeah. So, it really like almost. So it's just harder to do. It, yeah, it's almost like they take the visual and express it through music, sound, however you want to say it, but. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you said, very exactly. complex. Yes. So like the the bar scene in particular, there's lots of moments like that where there are the music is like highlighting specific things that are happening in the scene where somebody's punching someone in the face and like moment by moment the music changes to serve exactly what you're seeing on screen. So it's so much fun. The composer's name is Jerry Fielding and he did a lot of work on Star Trek. Um, he was one of, of several composers that wrote Underscore, and that's pretty normal for most television shows. They'll have a, f- a few different composers work on different episodes. I mean, great job, Jerry Fielding. You did great. Yeah, yeah. The music, we, we love not it. only is it perfect, you know, in a way, but it's just so appropriate, and it, it does what you want it to do. It sort of heightens the narrative and what's going on. Not to jump ahead, but um, just because it's so important to the point we're making now, in the Deep Space Nine episode, um, when they do their version of the the bar brawl, they made the comment afterwards that if they could have changed one thing, it was the music that they used for that scene because they had to change it a little bit to go on with the new narrative that was happening in the Deep Space Nine episode. But they realized that in doing so, they kind of lost the the effect and the mood that the original music had and it it definitely is very noticeable yeah it really does make a huge difference especially after watching them back to back because um as I said before there's so much Mickey Mousing there's so much like sort of over the top silly orchestration um and this underscore doesn't really have that it it's more modern and a little more serious um although I do really love this composer Dennis McCarthy who actually wrote the the DS9 theme oh okay so Goldsmith wrote TNG and Goldsmith wrote Voyager but Dennis McCarthy who's like a veteran writer for for the composer for the series wrote DS9 um so it was like they brought in the big guns for this episode and he and he's a veteran he's a, a Trek veteran so somebody like him he wrote underscore for a lot of TNG as well 
um, bringing him in was was I'm sure a calculated decision, which I love. Like I love that they are thinking about all of those things, even though that part of the score does kind of break things up and fall a little bit short as far as energy level. Um, the fact that they made a point to be like, we got to ask Dennis. I appreciate that. Oh yeah. Especially as a musician, especially again, it being like the 30th anniversary, you kind of want to bring in, like you said, those big guns. It's just funny. Cause it completely changes the tone. I mean, in this, in this version, you see Jones walking through the crowd of his drinks. They have that footage still in there and it just makes it so much more suspenseful in a, yeah, in a funny, yeah. in a way that it, it's funny, but it's not meant to be funny. But looking back at it it just completely changes now like oh god is he gonna drop his drinks i'm I'm on the edge of my seat uh it really seems like the director asked dennis mccarthy to pay more to to score the ds9 story Mm -hmm. instead of scoring the tos story which i totally understand from from his perspective that probably seemed like the best idea but that scene is supposed to be dumb <laughs> oh, well and um not dumb but like yes. it's supposed to be like again like farce and you're right like yes. because of the deep space nine storyline it has to be something that's much more dramatic um and, and, and actually yeah, yeah. like this is a very small complaint too i think the first time once we started talking about it we just realized it was a very interesting example to talk about how music and narrative comes together and the difference it makes when you change it up oh my god it is so important if you're a person maybe if you're a person that's not a musician if you're a person maybe if you're a person maybe oh god help me like maybe you're a cat maybe or or maybe you're a tribble uh (laughs) in which case i don't know how you're listening to this because you don't have a face or ears uh but if you're a person that that doesn't necessarily pay attention to underscore or somebody who's not a musician who doesn't maybe consciously notice those things I would challenge you to next time you're watching a a tv show or a movie to like pay a little more attention to what the music is doing it it really can like make or break a scene and uh that's one of the reasons why I love film scoring so much Jerry Goldsmith specifically he scored first contact which is one of my favorite star trek scores oh my god i love it so much the it's been a long time i'll have to go back that and pay attention i get that stuck in my head i get the first contact score stuck in my head regularly (laughs) i'm not joking it's so true i believe you (laughs) anyway okay ds9 yeah this was the uh Trials and Tribulations, which I believe is season five, episode six. Yeah, yeah I got one. Yay. Um, <laughs> usually I'm just like, whatever, it's later. <laughs> um, and it's after every Brooks shaved his head. <laughs> so, yeah, Larissa, bring us into the Deep Space Nine episode. This episode was made to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Star Trek. Yes, yes. So this this is totally an homage to the original episode if you have seen it you'll remember it as the one where they are literally like walking around the first enterprise and yeah in the costumes wearing wearing the costumes and everything um so the beginning of the episode 
starts off with the arrival of two people from the Department of Temporal Investigations. And they are here to talk about what the crew has just gone through, which is the story of the episode. So Cisco is being interviewed about it and he starts the narration. They're on the Defiant. And I can't remember how they find Barry Waddle. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I don't know. I know the Cardassians are handing over a orb from the Bajorans. Yeah, the orb of time. Yes, and th- that's right. And they happen to have an older Darvin with them. Wait, Darvin or Darvis? See, I'm already forgetting. Well, he calls himself Barry Waddle. Oh, I'm Waddle. sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It, but. So, so, yeah, so they are delivering. That's right. So they're on the Defiant and they're delivering the orb of time from the Cardassians back to Bajor. And they somehow happen upon this guy, Barry Waddle. And he uh, ends up on the ship and he's this older dude and he's kind of weird and he's saying a lot of like racist shit about Klingons um, in front of Worf, like calling them foul smelling barbarians. Which is a callback um, to the first episode where Chekhov makes the joke about Klingon smelling. Wah, wah. Yes, yes. And then and then uh, I think Julian says that Worf smells like lavender or something and it's... <laughs> It's it turns into a whole thing, but it's it's adorable. So all of this happens. They've got Waddle on the ship. They don't really know who he is, but he ends up using the orb of time to transport them back in time to exactly the place and time that the original episode, The Trouble with Triples, takes place. Um, because it turns out Barry Waddle is Arn Darvin. And he is trying to go back in time to get revenge on Captain Kirk for exposing him as a spy and ending his career and getting him exiled. So at, at its basic level, this is the crew trying to recapture Arn Darvin, who has also planted a bomb inside of a Tribble somewhere, <laughs> to find the Tribble bomb and disarm it and to recapture Arn Darvin. Um, and do the, all of this without affecting the timeline. At the end of the episode, you you get the the end of basically this formal inquiry that the Department of Temporal Investigations is conducting with Cisco, and they're basically like, "Okay, I mean, that's fine. It sounds like everything is fine." And then they leave. It's like <laughs> but it's really smart because uh, first of all, I'm just gonna call them like the time cops, like very Jung Claude Van Damme. Uh, oh yes, 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 yes these, that's right. These time cops, as I'll just call them, it, it, what it is, it's a framework. This sort of uh, yeah, them and Cisco having a conversation about what happened. It's a very efficient way to just uh, sort of give exposition to the viewer. Um, yeah, and so instead of maybe a five minute scene, you can just be like, boom, this is what happened. I just told the time cops in fifteen seconds. Let's go to scene because really the focus is seeing the D Space Nine. Um, gang mixed into the episode of Trouble with Tribbles. Like, that's the gold. So they they actually are very light on all the kind of extra layers of the Deep Space Nine stuff. Yeah. Maybe sometimes to a point where you're like, hey, wait a minute. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like they want to, they just want to get you to them being in the old costumes on the old Enterprise and keep it rather efficient. So it, it's actually a, a nice framing device with the storytelling 
Yeah, because like the, that's the whole purpose of this episode. It's not we're not like doing anything for the the story arcs of the DS9 characters here. Yeah. Like I mean aside from like how their character is reacting yes. to being back in this time period, you could remove this episode from DS9 and everyone would still be as they are. So like nothing big happens to any of our DS9 characters here. And that said, it is so much fucking fun to watch this episode. Like you can tell, like you can just kind of feel that like everyone was feeling a lot of joy in making it, that they were all so excited. Like it's kind of visceral. Like you you can like see like smiles on everyone's faces, like just being so excited to to do it. Uh, there's so much care put into the sets, mm. like recreating them perfectly and like making them look technicolor, you know, like, yes. like doing, doing all the things that they had to do to really make them look like they're in the space. And that I think, especially considering that, like, when did this, uh, this come out? Like 1996, I think I want to say 96. Yes, I am correct. Ooh. This, this episode came out in 1996 and this is. This is like early CGI, you know, like like Forrest Gump was one of the first movies, I think, to like put a character into archival footage and make it look like at least semi believable. And they're doing that here. And I mean, watching it on Netflix like this past week, it looks good. Yeah, I was actually you know, <laughs> I was really curious how this episode was going to hold up given that um, a lot of the high definition TVs aren't very kind to older. Right, right. Yeah. Are they going to look cut out? Yeah, yeah. but no, it, it does well. And it, it really is sort of a labor of love, not only on the behind the scenes, but you, again, like you said, the actors uh, were just having actors, director, all the people involved were just having so much fun with it. Um, and uh, in the back, you're right. Like they had to recreate these sets. The original Enterprise was in more museum environments. They couldn't just roll it out of storage. So they had yeah. to rebuild those. Um, they would take screenshots of the buttons on the bridge and other scenes and the blinking colors and patterns that the light had in the hallways and painstakingly recreate that. Um, there was only like a few details that they couldn't recreate for, you know, maybe a business who made a certain thing went out of uh, business and so it was you know, it was like chairs or something right something like yeah there was, there was specific like a kind of chair I can't remember what it was but yeah like they, they pulled somebody who worked on the original episode and or uh, the original show and they pointed it out and it was like they got pretty damn close um, but yeah they, it, when they filmed it they used the same kind of uh, lenses and filters and stuff so they, they really tried to do their homework and blend the two together and sometimes you can tell like when they go from a shot from the original scene that maybe is just say Kirk and Spock. And then they click yeah. over to the hallway where it's Cisco and Dax. Like, sure. Sometimes you could tell one is just different from the other, but when they merge the two, it's actually pretty damn good. And if you watch it yeah. right now, um, you know, if you stream it, it yeah, it's, yeah, it works. Like that scene where uh, Kirk and Spock are like talking on the, the intercom and Dax and Cisco are standing behind them. I mean, it's totally believable. That's the scene where she says that Spock is hot. Yes. I find to be adorable, especially since she ended up marrying Leonard Nimoy's son. Um, and this was before I think they they even met. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure that it's before yeah, they were involved. Which is some adorable 
foreshadowing. <laughs> Which is kind of weird. It's like, uh, you're, <laughs> someone was clairvoyant you, or something. You think my dad's hot? Whoa. <laughs> Somebody had a premonition about it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the, the moments where, and this is another reason why it was so much fun to watch them back to back. Yes, I agree. Because I don't think I have ever watched these two episodes back to back before. And having the memory of the TOS episode fresh in my mind and then immediately watching the DS9 episode was like so satisfying and lovely because I remembered what that scene looked or the like the scene where um where Kirk is dressing down his officers after the fight and Miles and Julian have been yeah they've been put, put in, in there. there it's so like it's just lovely it's satisfying it's, it's, it's very satisfying it's very satisfying it's very satisfying also uh Dax looks hot as fuck <laughs> In that outfit. Well, they definitely, um, yeah, they acknowledge in the beginning <laughs> with the outfits about the colors. The colors are different because uh, Bashir is confused. And, of course, he has to give a very Bones line of, like, I'm a doctor, not a historian. Uh, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But There's all those callbacks are really cute. And then, and then, what do they say? I have it written down here. They say operations wore red, command wore gold, and women wore less yes. is what Dax says. And so it, it's yeah. cute that they acknowledge that. We were talking the first time we tried to record this how uh, – you know, technically in TNG was season one. They did have the uh, the the squirt, which yeah, you guys might remember. You know, the really short. Deanna's like basically wearing a long shirt. Like she's not. Re- <laughs> it's so short, and and uh, Marina Sirtis has talked about that at conventions and been like, it was terrible and I hated it. Um, that like you know her butt would like stick to any chair that she was sitting on because like she didn't have anything covering it. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Because it was so short. And if you do, you remember they had a couple of guys wearing it. Yeah, the scant. I love it. <laughs> I loved that. I loved the gender neutral skirt situation thing. I thought that was cool. I wish that they had kept it, but instead they just made everyone wear the which is the uh, probably suit. more practical, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you want your legs covered up if you're going on an alien planet. You don't know what's down there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but you're right. I'm just going to, sorry, I'll just jump in and say if, you, if you're trying to plan like kind of a, a Star Trek night with family or friends, uh, these two are very fun and satisfying to watch right after each other because you do get those moments where, again, the, the Klingon smell, like the, the fact that each episode opens with that, um, a lot of the same relationships and banter is similar. Um, for instance, in this episode, oh, Odo and Worf are definitely played off of each other um, the way Bones and Spock are in the first one. Ah, yeah, that's true. Yes, where where Mm -hmm. both Spock and Worf have very, in Spock's case, he is just, doesn't really get the whole attraction of the little fuzzy guys. And then Worf is (laughs) very aggressive and hostile towards the Tribbles, which I'm sure we'll get into. And Odo and McCoy are there to sort of just poke fun at, yeah, the other person in their scene. And so that's like a fun echo. Um, Yeah, yeah. I actually like really love that because it totally sets up like here's Worf. He's a Klingon. This is like how many years later is is DS would DS9 be from TOS? I don't know the math. It's like it's a long time. Um, but but here's Worf now as a modern Klingon yes. to say like 
they became a <laughs> mortal enemy of the Klingon Empire and we destroyed their home world and they are an infestation and I hate them. And and this is all because Scotty beamed them all onto that Klingon ship. And like we now get to hear like what happened after that, which is hilarious and also just like Worf hating on a tiny fuzzy circle that everyone else thinks is cute is like of course he would he's like such a grouch of course he would hate it even if Klingons didn't have that history with Shribbles he would hate it anyway yeah so it's it it makes Worf is used to great effect in this episode oh Um, yeah and then there's him explaining why the Klingons look different I was gonna ask you to go into that the difference (laughs) the difference between Klingons and Klingons Yes, because, okay, the butterfly waitresses do come back. Um, they recreate one of those, a couple of those butterfly waitress outfits. Um, and a waitress comes over saying, if anyone, you know, orders a, a ratagino, or what is it, a ratagino? Or... R- Ractagino. God, I can't say that. It's okay. You know, um, she's going to, you know, freak out. And they're like, well, who ordered that? And she's like, uh, the Klingons, duh. And, of course, Odo and... Um, is it Miles? I think Miles and Julian are okay. all there too. They're looking yeah. around like, where are the Klingons? And then she kind of points them out. And then they all look to Worf being like, dude, do you want to explain this? <laughs> and he's like, we don't talk to people about that. Which is such a great way to <laughs> sidestep it, but in a fun way that again, like it's the same tone of the episode where he's like, we do not discuss it with outsiders. Yeah. I fucking love it. I love it so much. Because, like, you know, the early Klingons are just, like, dudes with the same facial hair and hairstyle that are all wearing the same outfit. Like, they're not, there's nothing, there are no prosthetics, there's nothing that sets them apart, really, at all, other than their hairstyles and their outfits. There's a lot we could unpack with just, like, Klingons in general, but, like, it's interesting to see those two design elements coming to a head, which is like kind of a hole in Star Trek storytelling anyway, that people before this episode were like, why, like, why do they look so dope? Like what happened? Yeah. And, and we, ad- we address it without actually, exactly. like we point at it, but we don't have to actually go it, in there it's a, and talk about It's a it. moment of like wink, wink to the audience of like, don't <laughs> yes. worry people. We thought about this. And, oh, you know, it's a show. Um, yeah, because even in um, eventually they would try to write an Enterprise, an episode and an explanation around it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which I know is fresh in your brain because you just wrap that up. But yeah. yeah, I did. Yeah, totally. But like at this time, this is, you know, because this is pre-Enterprise, we're here like like having the first actual acknowledgement of the discrepancy yes. here between what what is a Klingon and what is a Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I say job well done with the the way they handled it. Yeah. I mean, there's really, I have no complaints about this episode. It is just a whole lot of fun. Um, I also really enjoy just following Dax around and how like excited Dax is to be back in this time mm-hmm. because she, she lived during this time as Curzon. Yes. Right. And I think, um, well, she also mentions when she was with Bones about no, it wasn't, her. It wasn't Curzon. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was, it was the, the, the gymnast. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, for, I forget the name uh, of that. It doesn't host. matter. It doesn't matter. It Moving really doesn't on. Matter. <laughs> uh, but like her just being so excited about the design and like the outfits and like just being a 
like a history nerd in a way, like walking around. I think you said last time that she really does represent the fandom. Yes. Yes. The writers intended for Dax and her enthusiasm of for being on the Enterprise in this time period, it was supposed to reflect not only the writer's sort of giddiness, but also the fan base of like how how people yeah. would really respond. And so, yeah, she's she's very excited and, and Cisco kind of has to keep her under control, <laughs> keep her enthusiasm yeah. down a little bit. It's really adorable. And and, you know, for obvious reasons, it's it's really fun. To watch her like get super excited, and she's crazy um, tall in this episode. We both were. She's so tall with because the, the, her hair is also really yes, tall. Yes, with the heels and the hair, and I think she's already tall to begin with. You're just like, oh my gosh, she's so tall. Yeah, she's taller than Avery Brooks, like including the hair. She's taller <laughs> than Cisco in this episode. Ugh. Uh, I also really enjoyed like watching the crew not know how to work some of this old technology. Yes. And like Miles opening up a panel and being like, I don't fucking know what any of this is. And not like going into the turbo lift and not knowing they have to like grab onto that thing to make it go. Like it's, that's funny. All that yes. stuff is really, really I love the funny. scene where Cisco, you know, he's trying to call it Akira and he slaps his shirt, the little Star Trek, you know, the Starfleet <laughs> emblem. And, and you pointed out that Dax lived during this time. So she's just kind of waiting for cisco to realize like oh yeah yeah i have to have to use a little doodad Um, but also like laughing at him behind his back (laughs) yeah yeah so again it's just like they acknowledge all these things in it and it really keeps in with the tone and again it it does a really good job of of the pacing um you know i kind of alluded to the echoings but we also have a lot of like fun pairings miles and julian are paired off dax and cisco even the the time cops when they're with cisco the time cops are very straight they're they're definitely supposed to be um kind of parodies of like dragnet um they even make yeah. they have a line about friday which is kind of a nice like wink wink too to kind of uh recognize that reference um but oh they were going they were going full throwback <laughs> yes so <laughs> it, there's just a lot of that that good kind of banter and funny moments and uh yeah well also kind of moving the plot along and so yeah eventually they find out um, they find Darwin, who uh, we talked about last time. Like, I actually had to rewind because suddenly it's like they find Darwin and they're back on the Defiant. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, why do Worf and Odo, where was he? Um, and this kind of brings us to the the bar scene of the Deep Space Nine episode. Yeah. Where he's just like in the background like walking past the door and they're like there he is yes they squeeze him and and i'm gonna give them so much leeway on this because they i heard the bar scene i read it that it took a week just for that bar scene to to choreograph everything with the new film and the old film and getting the stunt doubles who looked like check off and everything kind of perfect and so yeah they chose to the scene where jones does come with the drinks and the bartender takes the drink when they are having that sight gag, I want yeah. I also want to point out, this is why it's called a sight gag, because you have to watch it. <laughs> and your eyes are focused on that. Um, yes. So while Jones and the bartender are together, there's like a little bit of space between both their heads. And they have the older Darwin just like walking in that little space. And I, I really think that's why they have Odo say, it's Darwin, so that you know he's back there. 
I think that's yeah. really the only place they could put him and it would even kind of make sense. Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> it could, because it happens like right in front of that open door yeah. to the bar. So like there wouldn't be any other way. If the door was closed, they're in this closed room. There's no way they would see him walk past unless the door was open. It seems like it was definitely like really tedious to make and write this episode. But at the same time, it also seems like it was so much fucking fun to do it. Oh, I'm sure. Like, like having said. to like go through all of the all of the footage from the original episode and see where we can fit things in, see which scenes will work, which scenes won't like to, to write a, another story on top of this story that already exists and have it like fit correctly. Yes. Is it, it make that that's also like really appealing work to me. Like that seems like it's a big puzzle. I mean, I would, I would, I love that shit, but yeah, they had to do it in a way where it didn't compromise the original uh, film, you know, the original episode footage yeah in a way where it's like well we can tell that wasn't there so yeah so they squeeze him in Worf and Odo end up on the defiant with him and that's when Darwin just happens to reveal the plan that he has a bomb in the triple and it's going to go off in an hour that's what I love is he just I don't know if Worf intimidated him or something to get that information but they quickly tell Cisco hey he put a bomb in the triple and he just was really nice and told us it's going to go off in an hour (laughs) Again, they're just like, don't worry, folks. We're just moving us along so you can have more of the D Space Nine crew on Enterprise. Yeah, but then then that like leads to the whole like Dax and Cisco searching for this Tribble bomb, and then the best moments of uh, the two crews interacting with each other, which is them looking for the Tribble bomb and throwing the Tribbles over their shoulders, and then Tribbles like going through that that opening above Kirk and falling on him yes. and how they edit it, edit it perfectly so that like, it really looks like Dax just threw a triple at Kirk. It, it's yeah. wonderful. It is probably the most clever use of intertwining the narratives from the, the episodes and the, the use of the film, because there really were just a couple of production people when they originally shot the TOS version, they were just randomly throwing tribbles through that hatch. <laughs> and they really didn't know what was going on. They're just like, keep throwing tribbles every 10 seconds. And yeah, they bonk William Shatner on the head. And so the fact that they're now saying, well, actually what was happening was Dax and Cisco were, you see them scanning these tribbles. And then when they don't have the bomb, they're just throwing them over their shoulder. It's, it's really a fun thing. And one of the things we pointed out is that all these little a uh, kind of weaving of the individual stories. They don't do anything to drastically change the narrative of the first episode. Um, yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, there was this big, this is what was actually happening. Yeah. It's all just, it's all just fun, fluffy, fluffiness. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't change any of the meaning of any, anything that happened. Yeah. The first time around. They're really just, they're, they're observers and they're dealing with a new problem. Like they're not trying to do anything else because they know that that gets resolved on its own um yeah sometimes i don't like time travel episodes because there's always that sort of cliche story beat of there's some character in that timeline that has to be an ally and our characters are trying to convince that person that no i'm really from the future and they go no you're crazy and i did oh are you talking about star trek first contact (laughs) oh so many things no so many things no, I know um, there's so many. I mean, not just Star Trek, just sci-fi in general. Um, yes, and, absolutely. And I always feel like I'm just kind of waiting for that ally character to get it, to be on the ship or be like, oh my God, you're telling the truth. And yeah. um, 
and th- that doesn't happen here. So for me, it's very enjoyable on that level too. Yes, totally, totally. We don't have to worry about it. Like the the only connection is Arne Darvin, who 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 we I don't think we mentioned is played by the same actor in both episodes. And he looks great, by the way. He literally yeah, he looks great. He looks exactly the same. Yeah. It's amazing. When they just whenever um, they age someone on a TV show and they just like add a few wrinkles and gray hair. I mean, that's literally how he is aged. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's a lot of fun. I mean. That's kind of the whole thing about uh, doing an episode like this. They they knew which stakes were high. And the story stakes are not high in this episode. It's everything else. They know the fandom. And they are fans themselves. And they just want to do a great yeah. job. I'm just like so into it. <laughs> oh, I had a cu- just like a couple tiny things. Oh, which were- Go for it. Which were uh, Julian's Julian's excuses to try to have sex with that oh, lady. <laughs> Which is like, why? What if I'm my own grandfather? Shut the fuck up, Julian. Also, it's like, I can't see that being a turn on. That's gross. <laughs> yes. I was like, ew, dude. What's, stop it. Which is also kind of fun that they also bring up that the kind of cliche time travel that cliche paradox thing yeah but you know why like to me that was just more of laughing at time travel storylines i feel like dax's yeah i guess so. i feel like dax's moment where she acknowledges where she knows mccoy oh that she fucked mccoy <laughs> yeah like that that to me felt way more julian where it was like whoa we get it <laughs> like do you need that in there it's you could argue that it's like you know em- empowering for like a woman to like be able to you know talk about her sexual past but like I didn't really care about that part <laughs> well and in the original <laughs> like what did she say I always knew he would be a surgeon yeah or, or he's something. like I always knew he'd be a doctor he has the hands of a surgeon and oh, yeah it does God. the little eyebrow lift that you can't see Larissa doing um, but yeah, it's like, she's like, oh, Spock, Spock is so handsome. And, and Larissa, you pointed out that like, uh, Dax, Dax's character's been a long time. And, you know, they definitely allude to the fact that she's, you know, she's dating people and, um, yeah. she's comfortable for her sexuality and that's great. But in this episode, it's just funny because she comes off, um, a little Julian-esque. Yeah, she does. <laughs> she's just like, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and and it is a little funky with uh, again like seeing this footage of DeForest Kelly. Not that he isn't a handsome man, but you know she's kind of like yeah. swooning over these old memories, and he's right there. And I'm like, oh, this is oh, it's like we're talking about sleeping with your your great grandma, and then there's this. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know if if these if these word pictures in my head are exactly what I want to be seeing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not really going the direction I wanted to. But also, it only lasts for a second, then it's over. <laughs> True. Oh, um, I just have to say the exploding triple footage. Because they oh, yeah, they finally do find dude. it. And they're just like, tell you know, get it off the station. And it, it literally is just a station. And filling the frame um, is this triple that's just kind of like floating in space. And then it goes, boom, in this dramatic explosion. <laughs> and I laughed out loud. It's wonderful. It's hilarious. Oh, wait. So one more thing, which is they bring Tribbles back. Yes, the end. And there are Tribbles all over DS9, and they're, like, sitting on Quark's head and shit. Like, what? And, but then they leave it open-ended. Like, what happens to them? Like, what? 
<laughs> it's one of those things where it's just a tie into the original. And you're Yeah, you're you're just supposed to assume they figure it out and yeah. I I suggested the first time we recorded this that um they maybe a freighter, maybe Cassidy Yates freighter sends him to Ducat. And, and, yes. and like, sir, a freighter's coming in and he opens it up and it all the triples spell out on Ducat and you see him raise his fist and go, Cisco. <laughs> Not really, but <laughs> to be honest, I would prefer that to this ending. Like it would be a great callback to the fact that they like basically punked the Klingons by sending all the triples to them. Like, let's punk Ducat, send him this pile of triples and then see what happens. That could be I mean Potentially the end of the Cardassian Empire. <laughs> they just get they just get destroyed, demolished by the triple. The founders, the Gem Hadar, it's just it's all done. Uh, oh good. Because of Tribbles. Oh. All right. Well, I mean, I feel like that that really wraps the DS9. Yeah. Ep. We're ready for the trouble of Edward. Yeah, so there's one more time in in Star Trek history that there's an entire episode dedicated to Tribbles and the drama surrounding Tribbles, and that is a very recent episode. It came out last year um, on the the new series Short Treks on CBS All Access, and uh, it is in season two of that series. It's the second episode and it's called the trouble with Edward. Just a heads up to everyone. This is something where I'm going to say, if you haven't seen this, it's it's 15 minutes. You may want to go and pause us, go watch it and then come back. If you don't want to be spoiled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this episode is uh, from the second season of short treks, which is, this new series, newish series on CBS All Access, where they kind of do little side stories that take place in the universe of Discovery or Picard. So you'll have like a side character that's explored a little more, but this one is in the Discovery universe. And it is, so you'll see like some characters in it that are on Star Trek Discovery, but they're not going to be main characters. This is going to be... Yeah, like like Pike shows up for a very small part in the beginning. Yeah, so you do get to like look at Anson Mount's beautiful, perfect face for a little while. Anyway, um, season two, episode two of Short Treks, uh, The Trouble with Edward. So the first, the first thing we see is um, a science officer she has just been given her first command of a science vessel and she's leaving the enterprise that which is currently being commanded by captain pike um and he's sending her off to her first command so he gives her a little advice and she beams over to this other ship then we're in this like meeting you know with her staff where she's introducing herself and she's like you know, figuring out what everyone does. And one of the people at this meeting is H. John Benjamin, who, if you don't know him, he is the voice of Bob in Bob's Burgers. He's also the voice of the vegetable can from Wet Hot American Summer. (laughs) Okay, forgot about that. Yes. He is like sort of a deadpan comedian voice actor guy. He made a jazz album a while back and he doesn't play piano or he just like 
it's <laughs> it's hilarious. So like basically, you know what you're getting when you see this guy. Like he's just gonna be ridiculous. This guy exists in every office, and this meeting. My notes say, uh, "Gee, this meeting is familiar because I feel like." <laughs> it really is supposed to be like a slice of life situation where they're in a meeting. It totally feels like the meeting you had last week. Um, and, and yeah, like it's definitely uh, very self-aware of what it's doing. And so, yeah, he comes off as that guy who's just doesn't quite fit in, in the office. Yes. Because he's maybe an incel. <laughs> like that's like, that's in my notes is like, <laughs> Is Edward an incel? He's so sensitive. He's incompetent. He's unprepared. And all of these interactions are very like current times interactions. They don't feel like Star Trek interactions. This is supposed to be like, it, it's, it seems like it's a goofy experiment. Yeah. I think I said you know? the first time it was like, if you took an episode of The Office and just put a Star Trek skin over it and, and, yes, the, exactly. and the people making it are very aware of that. So he's basically there at the table trying to like explain what he does on the ship. And he starts talking about Tribbles and then starts saying some weird shit about Tribbles, like that they're all meat. They're like a big scallop. And then he talks about how they would be a good food. So he was researching them as a food source for something. And then he's, he admits that he's eaten some of them. And then the the whole staff is like, what the fuck? this feels wrong and are they sentient? And he was like, well, I can uh, breed them. So they have brain damage. And then that takes care of that problem. And they're like, um, no. And the captain's like, maybe put that experiment on pause because it sounds insane. And we're going to focus on some other stuff. And he like is so mad about this because he feels like he's been embarrassed. So then he's like grumbling to his coworkers about it. And ends up like middle of the night sending a complaint to Starfleet about his ca- this new I captain. I think several complaints, if I remember the episode. Yes. <laughs> so of course she confronts him about it. She calls him into uh, her ready room, and she's like, "Dude, I know you did this." And he's like, "No, I didn't." And she's like, uh, "Yes, you did." And also, uh, basically, you're fired. I'm having you transferred. This makes him so mad that he ends up going back to the lab and. Mixing his own DNA with the Tribbles. Keep in mind that the Discovery timeline takes place before the original series. Yes, so because he's talking. This is a- he's talking about in the meeting how they, if he could get them to breed fast enough, that they would even be a better food source. Yeah, so we're we're now like getting into that territory where the story is kind of changing history as far as the the understood uh, series of events is supposed to go. Like, it doesn't really make sense, but it also doesn't really matter. So he ends up combining his own DNA with the triple DNA, and he is the reason why they are born pregnant. And <laughs> he ends up, uh, like standing in the hallway with his pants off, like, <laughs> which is so John Benjamin to do anyway, while the entire crew is freaking out and trying to figure out what the f- fuck is happening because all of a sudden there are tribbles everywhere. So that we then see like them like trying to clean tribbles out of 
ducts and like off the floor and like and we get another person sitting on a tribble like there's somebody that sits on a tribble in every episode that we've talked about so and it's the captain sits on the tribble Mm -hmm. every episode so we're we're in this situation where the tribbles are just like going nuts he's not doing anything to help and he ends up basically drowning in like a huge colossal wave of tribbles right before the entire crew escapes in an escape pod and as the whole ship is being filled with tribbles all the while yelling that he's not stupid dumb (laughs) dumb is the word (laughs) he's not dumb he's not dumb and then at the end the captain is sitting in front of uh, a board of inquiry i mean i'm assuming it's starfleet and they're like what the fuck happened your first command and the you lost a crew member and the entire ship was destroyed but you're saying that it was his fault like why was it his fault and she says he was an idiot yes it's it's a, it's kind of a very important thing that from the meeting the edward character is tripping over himself and doesn't come off very well and then when he sends these anonymous messages well he keeps saying like you called me dumb and she's like i never said you were dumb And that becomes like a a thread throughout the whole episode because he still keeps harping on this word dumb being used to describe him. And so by the very end where he's like, I'm not dumb. I've just discovered one of the most important scientific, you know, discoveries. And then at the very end, of course, they say, what do you have to say? And you're waiting for her. At least I was to say he was dumb. But, of course, the episode one-ups me, and she says he was an idiot. So, of course, she can still maintain that position of, I never... That she never said he was Yeah, dumb. I never called you dumb. Um, back to your point, though, about the, the Tribbles. I mean, they they multiply, and the way the Tribble multiplying effect happens is very much in the manner of, say, water filling a submarine. I mean, they really... Yeah. The, the we've talked about tone during this episode of the podcast and I think what's brilliant about this is that they go from kind of this almost the office tone to it turning into like a horror movie yeah and if Discovery and Picard have been discussed as being maybe more dark than the past Star Trek entities um, even literally, like my first note is, Ugh, ship is so dark. Um, it's just like that low light. That is my main complaint. <laughs> when I first started watching Discovery, my main complaint was, don't they want to see what they're doing? We don't have that. Like, turn on the light. Yeah, we don't have that classic TV lighting that we're used to. Um, but in this case, I think it was brilliant because it was used to really good effect with this short track. Um, where it changes from a more kind of quirky, lighthearted tone. Um, I love the the use of the Johnny Appleseed song by Bing Crosby. Oh, yeah. And then it rolls into um, a, a much more kind of, I mean, it's still silly, but it's frightening. You have this wave of tribbles. You have a scene when they do this montage of a female crew member. She is up against the ceiling of whatever room she's in, like banging on the ceiling the way you would if water is up to your neck and you can't breathe, but she's surrounded by tribbles, like not water. Um, But yeah, it just, it's, it's silly, but it's also terrifying. Yeah, it is. It is scary. Um, And that's, that's definitely something to, to mention that tribbles seem like this benign like cute little thing but they end up destroying shit 
in every single one of these episodes just because of the sheer power with which they duplicate themselves yes. basically it is the first time that you see them and you go back to what Worf was saying about how they were just a complete menace to the Klingon Empire and you're starting to see the full threat of of the critters um yes yes or the tribbles oh, I'm thinking God. of critters from the 80s again but yeah <laughs> oh I thought you were just saying critters <laughs> <laughs> like southern Those little critters <laughs> little critters so I really really enjoy this episode but there is part of me that's like, um, like it sort of feels like. Did you did you see Joker? I d- you know what I just saw it actually. I was behind. It's it's like what happens when you don't pay enough attention to somebody who's gonna go nuts. Like same reason why like a lot of incels really loved <laughs> Joker <laughs> was because they felt vindicated to like become violent and go like crazy because they didn't get the things that they wanted. And, like, that is sort of the same premise for this. That, like, he, first of all, what happened with his psyche, Val? And, like, how is he even on a ship anyway? But, like, he doesn't get exactly what he wants from this captain. So he destroys the whole ship. (laughs) Yes. And, you know. And he, uh, that actor plays it beautifully. We were talking the first time how like there have been sort of misfits in Star Trek. Like Barclay is probably the one of the better known ones. Um, yeah. But he is, it is very different. Like I don't think we can highlight enough for people who haven't seen this that uh, the way this character is played, he is, he's very unsympathetic. Um, he's purposely... Oh yes, you do not feel sorry for him at yes, all. Yes, like when, when the when the triples start to take over, he's like, I'm not helping. Like, he's he's just... He's just yes, literally um, standing in the hallway with no pants on. Because <laughs> it's in the middle of, the, of <laughs> he's sleeping. And yeah, he's like, what's going on? <laughs> but um, yeah, like it's... He's definitely written and played that way where because of the what they're going for in the story, like he doesn't come off like a Barclay or anything like that. We're not... We're not making fun of people who can't, you know, gel with a crowd as easily as others. Right, right. We're not talking about, like, maybe somebody who's on the autism spectrum here. Like, we're talking about, like, a a dude that just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, this dude just sucks. Uh, he does not give a shit about anybody but himself. <laughs> and there is no reason he should be serving on a starship. Um, but, but again, it is very fun. I love H. John Benjamin. I always have really enjoyed everything he does. Um, and he is a lot of fun to watch and it's, you know, it's just a tiny little like comedy, dark comedy thing. It's, it's fun. So, uh, but then there's that, that thing, if you, if you do watch it, make sure that you watch all the way through Mm. the credits because there is a post credit scene that is. A commercial for Tribble cereal, and it is very, very ridiculous. It, you might have and to like, watch it twice <laughs> to actually catch everything. <laughs> yes, with like all the references, and like it really like you know sends me back to like you know probably our childhood in the eighties when there were like commercials for cereal all the time. Like, oh yeah, and you had like Smackums, the Frog, and um, you know Cookie Crisp, like all those crazy yeah, cartoon yeah. characters. They just spoof it Tony so the Tiger. well. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really fun. It it just seems like they had a lot of fun with this. So I I mean, I appreciate it. I mean, to be honest, like aside from like Gene hating Gene and some of the writers hating 
trouble with tribbles. It does seem like there are some moments in all of these that people are really actually enjoying themselves and having a good time. I haven't seen that much Discovery. And then, um, you know, I saw Picard. But I have to admit, out of all of the kind of newer Star Trek content, I, I really liked, I think, the short Trek the most. E- even though we're acknowledging that the characters are not Star Trek characters, really. Yeah. They're just kind of wearing that skin and stuff. But I think what's exciting about the short treks is that they are this wonderful playground. The short treks to me are exciting. They're almost kind of like a black mirror or, you know, anthology setup where you can just have all these little stories and experiments and you can bring in different directors. You can, you can take in different ideas that maybe would be more risky for one of the bigger shows or a movie and just try out things like that. And so this one I just thought was really fun and well-made. Um, yeah. And I'm excited for the potential of what it could do uh, in the franchise. Um, there are a couple of side gags I do want to point out, which are great in this episode. Okay. One is especially in the beginning when it's more silly before it goes on like full horde story um, is in the beginning when they're just trying to clean up the tribbles they are starting to multiply and they're trying to get a, a hold of the situation. Um, they show people kind of picking them up and maybe putting them in bags, but they show Edward putting them in a giant chef pot, like a lobster pot. Cause again, he's, <laughs> he's talking about like, no, you can eat them. It's great. Um, so he's, he's just got like three Ew. seconds of putting them in a chef pot. And then um, while they're talking just in the background, you see this, Starfleet person coming by with this this giant like backpack Tribble vacuum like sucking up Tribbles like <laughs> foomp, foomp. and it's just <laughs> it's just there and again it's just all three of these episodes are just like little visual things that are really fun <laughs> that you can pick up on yeah that vacuum cleaner felt very like <laughs> Seussian yeah you know what I mean it's ridiculously big <laughs> I had so much fun rewatching these three episodes. I have to admit that like when I go to Star Trek for escapism or comfort or whatever, I usually choose something serious for some reason. Like I usually choose an episode that makes me like feel like heartwarming feelings or makes me feel like connected or or like an an episode that that has like really strong moral purpose and I usually don't go to something silly. You know what I mean? Okay. And I think I might I think I might sort of shift gears a little bit and change how I do things because watching these three, I like, I watched them all in one day and then I like put each of them on in the background when I was doing other things throughout the week. And I felt like revived because, because you're giggling a lot when you're watching these episodes, you're like laughing out loud. So if you're a Star Trek fan and like you need to watch some Star Trek, but you also like need to smile and you need to laugh. Like these are great episodes for that. And I would highly recommend, especially watching Trouble with Tribbles and Trials and Tribulations. Trouble with Tribbles and Trials and Tribulations back to back. It was just like a nonstop like roller coaster of fun it is and and again i'll echo what i said earlier if you're whether you're seeing people in person or if you're still kind of doing movie nights across zoom and all that kind of social distancing um what's nice about these is not only are they they they're both fun they're both very rewarding to watch back to back but they're the type of star trek episodes that you can maybe once in a while like talk to each other 
you don't want to ignore it, but you know, some of those more kind of meaty, serious ones, um, you know, if you had this on those on at a party, like drumhead, people might be like, shh, I need to hear this dialogue. And, totally, and even though, totally. and even though these episodes have a lot of great dialogue, you know, if you miss a line or two, because you're, you're, you know, goofing around with your friends, you're not going to be completely lost. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah, I, for, I also forgot to mention that uh, Dan walked through the living room a few times as I was watching these episodes. And during the short trek, he was like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> and I told him about how John Benjamin mixed his DNA with the with the Tribbles. And he said, oh, he's the Tribble Daddy. Ah, that feels like a good cosplay. <laughs> maybe. Tribble Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us for triple talk we'll be with you uh next week find us in the collective at into the show on instagram at into the wormhole.podcast into the wormhole is brought to you by we own this town how convenient are these orbs? Like you just need an orb for something and ah, we'll just orb of time. They got the orb of time. It sends them back. Great. Yes. Great. Yes. yes. Very easy. Very easy to do. Just make an <laughs> orb for it.